This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Out of the Box on The Bigger Picture, the show where we explore alternative ways to teach and learn. Today, we're talking about the Forest School over in Singapore and the philosophy behind Forest School Singapore is strongly linked with the history of kampongs and tropical living. They fervently believe in the importance of community spirit. Now, their approach is guided by three pillars of leadership, nature-led, child-led and context-led. And today on the show, we're going to explore more about this school where Mother Nature and the environment are the main teachers and how it cultivates a space that empowers children. Joining me to share more about this is Darren Quek, the founder of First School Singapore. Welcome, Darren. How are you today? Hello. Hello, everyone. Thanks, Juliet, for the invitation. Thanks for having me here today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. So, Darren, maybe you can take me back to the start, you know. I mean, uh, what got you interested in education as a whole, you know, this, this and, and I suppose, you know, uh, following that, this sort of form of alternative education? So I guess um, just for a bit of context is basically I've been an educator for the past 15 years, I believe. Yeah, so I started pretty young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started when I was 17, actually, oh. 17, 18. Okay. I was doing actually enrichment classes, um, programs, which is I believe most parents and, and every one of us are very familiar with. Uh, but I didn't do the usual academic kind of enrichment. I did a lot of uh, robotics, uh, science, uh, kind of magic and uh, things that is, is kind of like a holiday program kind mm-hmm. of and, and education. Yeah. So uh, I started off there and then gradually progressed towards um, uh, in the early childhood uh, as a sports educator. Once more, non-academic. Uh, I'm never the person who, who could sit behind the table Um I'm with yeah, you on so, that, lah, Darren. I'm with you on that. Okay, yeah, sorry. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> totally on the so, same page, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think along the way then, um, I realized a lot of kids, um, I, I think where my heart lies during the journey of edu- as an educator was with uh, kids with special needs mm-hmm. uh, or challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think throughout the journey, it started to dawn on me that uh, a lot of them are just not being able to fit in with the system. Yeah. For a good reason, actually, um, because I realized they teach us how to be a better human being. They teach us how to better educate, uh, teach us how to better communicate as well. So um, after having that kind of exposure through, throughout the journey, then I, I was introduced to the concept of forest school mm-hmm. by, by my mentor, Atsuko Yamamoto. And after that, I started trying it out in Singapore. Which is, a, which is not an easy place to try out. Yes. <laughs> which is exactly why I wanted to talk to you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Malaysia is easier. <laughs> I feel, I feel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think doing it here in Singapore and then I started to bring some of my kids who I know who has uh, special needs or challenging behaviours uh, to forest school and, and or the experience of forest school. And it started to really show that the, the, the benefits of the experience and I realized one of the most beautiful thing about doing this form of alternative education is the fact that every single child gets to be themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do not need to follow the rules of um, the artificial rules of society. They need to follow the rules of nature, which is very different, which is the true inclusive space in my view. Yeah, so um, yeah, so that's basically how I move from one point to another and then 
stayed on here right now. <laughs> okay, and there was this lovely story that I was reading about in uh, so in a previous art, uh, interview that you gave, right? And uh, you call it the I Love You story. I don't know if you mm. would mind sharing that story with our listeners. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, so, I mean, uh, this, this story still uh, makes my hair stand because it's probably the one that inspired me to, to stay on in education and probably for my whole life. Um, because so when I was 17, 18, that was the first, first two years of my uh, stepping into education, doing enrichment. So I was saying I was teaching robotics and, and some kind of game design. So I was doing a game design class in a primary school, uh, a holiday kind of program on December holidays. And um, I was young that time, so I was kind of just an assistant, mm -hmm. not an instructor. And they, the, my boss at the time uh, appointed me to go and uh, tag along with one particular child. Uh, so his name was John, right? So uh, to tag along with John and I thought, oh, okay, that, that would be easy, right? I guess just look out for one person. <laughs> uh, but um, interestingly, he, he was a kid with, uh, he was not born with special needs, but he, um, when he was young, um, and I think he had a high fever, he spot. And so uh, his brain was fried by the high fever. Oh, gosh. And therefore, um, he has a lot of learning disability from that point on. Cognitively, it is affected, neurologically affected. Him. So um, basically, I was tagged along with him uh, to teach him game design. Um, so I give people usually the example is it took him about 20 minutes to maneuver the mouse on the screen. Okay. Right. And then uh, by the end of a three hour session, uh, for the day, first day, uh, he could only get to where, where everybody got to, like, let's imagine 100% is where everybody gets to. He could only get to like 30% okay. of what everybody could get to. Okay. So, um, yeah, so so that that kind of, uh, and, and I, I was very um, apprehensive about myself actually initially because I'm not trained, especially or, or any form of training. And I uh, just pair there with the person, with the, with the kid. So, uh, thankfully, of course, the school had a had a kind of support, just support staff nearby, la, But she just let let me be, mm. So I was following this job, following John for close to three days, and and the end of the third day, uh, last day of the program, um, he asked me, "Am I still gonna be around?" And I say, uh, "No." And then he just turned around and said, "I love you," I know. <laughs> which. At that moment, I just felt like it's not. Um, it, I got very confused. <laughs> I really got very confused and really, very like. Um, I I was, kind of in a place where, I realized like something about what I understood about the world. Is not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he showed me, what seems to be the purest state of what we could be, you know, and so I started to question like education as a question life and like how can a person who is neurologically cognitively not uh, up to standard per se with the society yet he could show a side of vulnerability and human emotions that so many of us who were so-called the neurotypical yeah uh, incapable of <laughs> showing so it got me really thinking very deeply and i guess from that point on um it was education for life uh, basically for me. 
Okay. Maybe, you know, for our listeners, you can just talk to me a little bit about forest schools. I mean, uh, what are its roots and history, if, you know, you pardon the Mm. pun, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, so I guess for people who are new to this concept, um, so forest school is, uh, from what, I mean, if you Google forest school, right, uh, you'll find it as uh, people tell you in the 1950s, 1960s, in the Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Sweden, they have this forest school uh, or... I do not know how to pronounce the whole term in, in Swedish. It's called fruit sleeve, I think. Okay. <laughs> it's a whole term for it. Yeah, I'm not good at that. But um, so basically the concept is bringing kids outdoor, learning outdoors, uh, letting kids be in connection with nature through being outside and letting the, the classroom of nature themselves teach the children. So there's a lot of focus on that. Of course, then as this concept progressed towards uh the other countries in Europe in particular when it first started. Um, of course, the British uh, and the Germans have it in, in what they call the Waldorf kindergarten, yeah. which is like first kindergarten. Um, and then when the British took, uh, took on to it, I think about 20, 30 years ago, probably around there, um, they started to have a bit more formal representation and understanding of it. So it was uh, learning nature, there's child ladness. So the definition starts to move and in a way contextualize with the places. Uh, so when I began my journey learning it and I realized actually what you Google is one thing, is what your media can tell you or, or, or internet can tell you, but after experiencing many other countries' form of education in nature, I realized it's not new at all for a school. It's something that has been around for since we have been alive. I mean, since human beings have been around and, and able to track our history, we have been learning in such fashions across all civilizations. Yeah. Uh, because when I spent some time in Malaysia, actually, um, with the Orang Aslis, mm-hmm. and I was I was taught by some of my Malaysian friends in KL, and saying, hey, you know, maybe you should talk to the Asli. And when the Asli share with me some of the ways that our kids grow up learning, I thought, that's for a school. Correct. <laughs> Most natural <laughs> you know, thing, right? Yeah. yeah, it's a very natural thing. Uh, the institutionalized school is actually something that has been around only for the past two, three hundred years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. So actually, education has been for a school all the time. It just, <laughs> now it's, it's, re- it is like nature coming back. <laughs> Okay, yeah. okay. So Excellent. that's my understanding. And I hope that helps everyone understand what <laughs> for us no. No, it does. It does. It does. Definitely. Um, let's just go for a quick break, Darren. When we come back, I mean, I'm going to talk to you about how you think, um, you know, what drives for a school in Singapore, you know, how your <coughs> curriculum, which I'm going to say in inverted commas, uh, differs from mainstream curriculum. Uh, I'm speaking today to Darren Quack. He's the founder of Forest School Singapore. It's another episode of Out of the Box and we're talking about Forest School Singapore. We will have more after this quick break. You're listening to Out of the Box on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Out of the Box on The Bigger Picture, the show where we explore alternative ways to teach and learn and is done in collaboration with the Anyaman Preschool. Today joining me is Darren Quack. He is the founder of Forest School Singapore. Forest School uh, Singapore, the philosophy, of course, you know, goes back to something that, you know, predates education, right? It's just what we learn from nature pretty much, isn't it, uh, Darren? So, uh, there's no real... Okay, so, you know, I know all Asian parents will come to you and say, what is the curriculum like? You know, what is the... (laughs) For sure, right? Um, what would you say is, and I'm using again inverted commas, curriculum of at the forest school, how does it differ or, yeah, how does it compare, I suppose, to mainstream uh, education's mm. curriculums? 
Okay, so um, firstly, uh, why why the inverted comma? If you go to our website, we, we do mention about the difference between curriculum, pedagogy, and approach. Yeah. So we use we coin the word more using approach, uh, because uh, we realize curriculum is all about chasing. Uh, the, the root word of curriculum is actually chasing towards a certain goal. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess if that's the form of education that um, anyone want to put. The, the learner or the educate uh, the, the participant through that's fine yeah. you know it go is fine uh, but if it's more about nurturing and, and growing someone um, in terms of uh, the whole you know the whole individual then uh, we use the word approach and pedagogy of course yeah. quite more often so for us I would say our approach has um, actually foundation on three points which is one is nature led child led and context led so uh, it, this this is this three pillars per se is actually pretty new. I would say I, I have not seen it uh, in the other forest school fellowship around the world. I think it's probably quite unique to Singapore and probably Southeast Asia uh, because of the context that we are living on. In you know we are living in the archipelago, okay. right? And it's very different from uh, the temperate countries that most other forest school are at. Um, so in terms of context lab, we are pretty. Uh, in a sense, we want to be flexible and malleable to the society that we live in and to the land that we live in, uh, to the weather that we live in, uh, to the mosquito that we have. In, you know, it's, it's different. <laughs> yes. So the context is totally different. Uh, and in the sense of nature, let I guess, um, the concept is that nature is the main teacher. So most of us think that the teachers themselves are the main teacher or the, the adults are the one responsible in control of the education but once you shift that mindset or paradigm to think hey but what if the trees the forest the wind the sun the grass is the teacher then the whole concept of learning changes as well yeah. you start to be aware of what they provide and the very interesting thing i always tell parents is that uh, nature has an infinite amount of curriculum way more than us so I don't see why we should be the one dictating it when she has better range of curriculum. So we lean on her curriculum set. Um, and then of course, lastly, is child lab, which is uh, is absolutely not new at all, especially in modern times, because everybody knows about inquiry learning, Radio Amelia, your Montessori, child lab is everywhere. So um, our child lab uh, pushes it a little bit further in terms of freedom and wilderness. We allow them to have moments of conflicts and resolve it by themselves, which is not easy at all. Even for ourselves as practitioners, yeah. it's not easy. Uh, but yeah, child lab is, is the is the pillar. Okay. And I mean, something that I was reading, I mean, you know, or what I got a lot from, you know, reading about uh, Forest School Singapore was that kids are allowed to sort of make a connection with the world through nature, right? And sort of at their own pace and their own yeah. freedom, isn't it? So yeah. do you kind of, I mean, how do you... Okay, and again, an Asian parent question. What does a typical day at forest school look like, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. so um, Is there a typical day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the typical question. There. It's not really a typical <laughs> Almost like we've been running forest school in Singapore for like six years. Mm. Uh, and my, in my knowledge, I know Malaysia, I have folks, a fellowship in Malaysia who has started in um, 2010. Mm -hmm. So I think they're like, wow, 12 years. Um, so... For us, at least in, in Singapore, we're doing it for six years. Every single day is different. Mm. Um, we may go to the same place. We may have almost the same group of kids. 
but our environment is different every single time because the people that comes through are different. Uh, the leaf that falls are different. So because of the whole flux and dynamic of changes that is there, every session is different. But we could, we did an article which we showcase actually uh, what a typical day would look like. It's written by one of our coach. And that's the closest we come <laughs> to describing how <laughs> your day looks like. But I guess... What I usually share with a lot of parents is also to, to listen to the child after they come back from formal school. And I think that's the best report card to have. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have any report card <laughs> or assessment. Uh, we want parents to be involved in that, that process of formal schooling as well. So meaning that the child will bring home stories and those are your report cards. Those are your moments to understand what we're doing as well. Um, so I guess if I were to be more empirical with uh, or more detailed with the description of how a day looks like uh, i would say typically it starts with a safety kind of briefing kind okay. of day and then um, we have a moment of discussion whereby we discuss where we want to go today which we uh, apply a lot of democracy in um a very difficult democracy actually <laughs> easy for Asians to understand democracy uh, <laughs> um, because our education system doesn't reach that much. So um, then, of course, moving on is back into the session itself, which is very nature-led. Um, and then nature and child-led. And then after, at the end of it, we have a debrief. Mm -hmm. End of session, we have a debrief kind of sharing. And then the kids will share what they like and dislike about the day. Okay. So I think one of the difference for us is that we do a lot more movement in our forest school, meaning we are more nomadic with the way we approach it. Uh, some other forest school like to base it at a campsite at a, at a particular base location. Yeah, We tried that before, but in Singapore or in the tropical countries where the environment actually changes or, or I would say grow and rot very quickly, <laughs> um, the wear and tear is actually faster. So actually basing on a site it's not very ideal. And then we kind of learn it a bit from the Orang Asli and the Laos in the region as well because they are very nomadic for a good reason because right. the land cannot sustain us for too long a period without heavy wear and tear in tropical countries. Yeah. So you actually need to rotate land, let the land rest, move around. So, so then we do rehabilitate, right? Yeah. yeah, we'll be on that as well. So this is our context now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. And so obviously you saw a gap in Singapore, right? I mean, you were the first uh, to do that. And I mean, what was the response when you first started? You know, I mean, was it a challenge to get Singaporean and I, I say Asian parents as well on board with this sort of non-academic focused way of doing things? Mm. Uh, so did, I guess... When did the first... parents have to be educated is what I wanted to know, actually. I mean, yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, but thankfully for us, we have what, I mean... I know of friends in Malaysia as well, homeschoolers and mm. unschoolers. Mm -hmm. So in Singapore, we can't have unschoolers. We have homeschoolers. Okay. Uh, and so the homeschooling community was very supportive when we first started. And they came on board to Forest School when we first started. So they were the group that kick-started a lot of the programs okay. that we have at the start. Uh, and, and they are easy to work with. <laughs> they get it, right? They are homeschoolers. <laughs> so we are working very closely together, building the community. Uh, then over time, of course, the other families from the mainstream start to come in. And that's where actually a lot of this education aspect to the parents have to be done. Yeah. So like what my, one of my uh, my mentor actually shared with me that it's important that the parents are growing and learning in the journey. If they are not, then they should not be in forest. They should be in 
taking the walk in the park by themselves. <laughs> I was like, okay, can. <laughs> and she was like, I like so. your mentor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so parents also need to be part of this journey, right? I mean, that sounds mm. a lot like a lot of the child-led sort of education, like Reggio and mm. all of that, right? Mm. Also, they need. Mm. But, okay, so, you know, you mentioned that you work a lot with like neurodivergent or special needs children. Is Forest, suitable, is Forest School suitable for any kid, you know? I mean, do they, do you typically have neurotypical and neurodivergent kids joining? You know, is there anyone who might not be suited for this way of learning? So, so what's funny is every single child is suitable in Forest School because we're all born out of nature. So going back to nature is absolutely there, you know. Mm-hmm. There are kids who can be sensorial, uh, have have uh, very uh, how do you say sensitive sensory needs as well. So there are many variations, or even disabled kids, mm-hmm. you know, physically mm-hmm. disabled, mentally challenged, uh, or I mean, even mentally disabled. Uh, because I've tried the program even with individuals with mental issues like schizophrenia, bipolar, and all that, and it works. You know, it absolutely works across the board because nature can hold that space. It's wonderful. Um, but the problem with Running the program is more of the adult. <laughs> bring, the, bring this individual or kids into the program or, or the administrator or the coordinator or the parents. This group of adults who have this sense of need to control is more of the one that we need to work a lot with than the participant who come to us who are you know, able to let go in the session. So sometimes we will even joke that I think it's important that we do it for this group of people to let them feel how it is to let go of their control of nature and then from there then the rest can progress through mm-hmm. so it's actually a lot of work not just I think children also with the extended community that we are working you know, I was reading one, uh, again, one of the articles uh, that you, you were featured in, and you said that there was once where you wanted, uh, and this is your own your own team, right? You wanted them to just go in with no sort of, no plan, right? So just mm. let the kids go in and decide what they want to do. Like no mm. structure at all, a zero structure. Just go to the, mm. I don't know, it was the park or the forest, right? Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that one, yeah. Um, I mean, can you just... <laughs> And you had, you know, to work so hard to convince your team to allow this to happen. So like, yeah, yeah you just wanted them to go and observe, but no direction whatsoever. Right? I mean, can you just tell our listeners that story? So, so, um, so that story actually happened in 2015, actually. Okay. Uh, when you first started like that. Lah. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Kind of like the, the, the period, the, the early stage uh, before Forest School Singapore even started. Okay. My, my gradual immersion into the whole experience. So what happened was I, I went to UK to do my practitioner certification mm-hmm. and then after I came back for a few weeks and I came back and I had the idea fresh in my head right and then after all the experience you're like yeah I want to try something here so I went back to I was doing camps inclusive camps with uh, kids and uh, the team that I, work, I was working with so at that time, I I told them, hey, how about we bring the kids? You know, one part of this program itinerary is we bring the kids to Botanic Garden in Singapore. And 17 of them, I always remember the number, 17 of them, bring 17 of them over there and we just let them, you know, like what you mentioned, no curriculum, no plan, no itinerary. No, uh, there will be a bit of safety instruction as usual, but other than that, no, nothing. And it took me about seven hours to convince them. 
Right. It, it really, the, the conversation lasted very late into the night. And they, they were constantly like, no, how can you possibly have that? Where's the learning objective, right? You cannot have that. How are we going to answer to parents without learning objective, without like deliverables, KPI, you know, how can we explain these results or this thing? At least tell us the process, you know, at least we can explain the process. I was like, no, there's no process. The process <laughs> is, okay, we do a safety and then we let them be. And then we document that process that is going on, very dynamic. And then they were like lost for very long until I, they finally relented because I was so persistent. I didn't <laughs> give up. So they finally relented and said, okay, let's try. Mm. So we brought these kids, 17 of them, on one of the afternoon. And then we brought them to the botanic garden. It was beside the swan lake that we were at. And we told the kids so like, all right, so now you guys can do whatever you want. As long as I can see you, you can see me and you're not hurting anything. Let's go. And then the kids, kids are very intuitive. So they didn't... They didn't feel like, oh, this is weird. They just went about their day. Yes. They, they went out, you know, in all different directions. Some at the lake, some at the, among the leaf piles, some at the near the trees, some around the gardens. So we went around and the, we had about, that time we have 70 kids and we had about six instructors or coaches. And then we just spread out ourselves like, and just position ourselves so that we can everybody can see everyone. Um... And yeah, they started to, the, the, the teachers or the coaches started to realize the effect of what this is about, you know. They, they started to be involved with the play, to be more observant of what's going on instead of delivering something. Mm-hmm. But I think what really takes was at the end of three, four hours, the kids didn't want to go back, right? Still wanted more. And when we do our debrief back at the campsite, uh, one of the kids, and I still remember to date always, his uh, name was Angela. So... Angela said, uh, because we are asking the kids, what do you like? You know, how do you feel about day or that? And this kid, Angela, she was eight years old, right? And she shared with us that this was the first time, this experience was the first time in her life that she felt freedom. Amazing. So that moment really struck me a lot. Like, because I was still, you know, I just started learning about forest school. I was bringing it back to Singapore and exploring realizing it in Singapore, to hear that line got me thinking like, hey, I need to do this in Singapore. I need to do this in this region. I need to do this for kids, whether it's locally or anywhere. Because kids need to feel that, you know, at least growing up, how can an eight-year-old child be feel the first time of freedom or sense of freedom, first time is at eight years old? There's something like really wrong. (laughs) It should be the adults, if anything, any stress or pressures, the adults, we, we deal with it, right? Yeah. I don't feel like how come children are the one thing that there is something like imbalanced, basically. Yeah. So that got me going like, okay, I really need to do this. And it pushes, motivated me past to mm-hmm. go further. And and six years down the line, I think, you know, you've got, I, I don't know how many schools you have now. Is, is it six as well or more than that? We only have one forest school Singapore. One forest school <laughs> oh, Singapore. Yeah, six classes. Six classes. Okay, one forest school Singapore, but six. I mean, it is expanded to those six classes, right? And I mean, that's that's wonderful. And I mean, you've seen so many kids come, uh, come and go. I suppose in that sense, right? I mean, for an Asian parent again, you know, and I know they'll want me to ask this question: What do the kids get out of it? From what are the tangible results that you have seen, or, tangible and intangible? You know, so I'm talking about things like how they've grown as people. You know, uh, empathy, compassion, those sorts of things. So. Firstly, yeah, let me let me adjust a bit. Is that we have six weekly classes, right? Okay. But uh, but there are forty over forest schools in Singapore. 
not owned by me. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Okay, sorry, my my mates. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, so, so it's an industry thing, like, So there's when we, when we first started with the only one, but and no. before COVID there was only eight. So after COVID there was forty. So you think about it. <laughs> so I'll I'll let you all draw the dots. <laughs> anyway, um, regarding like how parents will ask like you know what do the kids get out of it? I think a lot of times. Because every child is different, mm. for sure. You know that. It's not a cliche line, it's true. And so every child receives uh, uh, rece- the reward or the rece- what they receive through for school is different as well. Mm. So I can only give you, like, give parents examples, but every kid is still going to get it differently. Um, so I, I know of one particular child um, that uh, the parent is actually a coach with our team. Okay. As well as a parent. <laughs> hmm. So she's she's able to hold her ground, which is which is fantastic, not easy. Um, but this child, what the, the parents told me was that uh before she joined forward school when she was in a typical education establishment, uh, the way she interact will be a lot of times, um, whenever she's she needs help and all that, uh, or she feels she needs help, the sense of reliance for an adult or authority figure to resolve your issue is very high. And the ability to look out for yourself, look around you, to find resolution around you or in your own mind, creating the solutions, uh, sometimes not as strong. But she said after embarking on forest school, and of course, I must still also say she also embarked on the homeschooling journey together with forest school. So okay. combination. Okay. Right. So it allow the kid to now doesn't necessarily have to always turn to the parents or the adults to rely on resolutions. Uh, the child could him or her, her herself actually resolve her own issues uh, and is very aware of it. And so that, that lack of reliance was very uh, heartening for the parents because at the end of the day, I believe I can say for all parents, we do at the end of the day want our children to be independent and happily independent, right? Uh, we do not want them to rely on us. At the end of the day, it's absolutely not the end goal for parenting. <laughs> so um, to see our child grow in, I think that's very, very uh, important and valuable uh, asset to see in, in the kids when they're going through for school. Okay, mm. okay. And there was a story, again, sorry, I keep bringing up the stories I was reading about. Yeah, yeah sure. Missing Cracker, the Missing Cracker story is in your website as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of story, by the way. So I know, but if okay. Anybody, audience, if anybody want to read them, you can go to our library. We have like 120 article like. Okay. Okay. So no, it doesn't have to be missing cracker. Then you know, one. What is your favorite story? Then you can you share your favorite story of you know kids um, solving their own problems, lah. You know, being independent or okay. Yeah, I would say missing cracker is definitely one of the highlight. I would say it's the milestone. I, I did mention in the article that it's the milestone moment for us because it's the first time. And this kids are, and to add up to it, the kids are most of them almost all of them are homeschool kids, right? Okay. So they already have the. The, the level, the understanding is higher as well, regards to independence, resolving your own issues. So I'll tell the story of the case of the missing cracker. Right? Sure, sure. The case of the missing cracker uh, happened on a Thursday, on a Tom Bill Thursday class in 2018. So um, it's often that our kids during that period of time will go to this place called the Hindidi uh, Nature Park near Bukitima Nature Reserve. And they'll go there to play. Right, go there to play. There's, there's kind of a playground within the nature park area, and they go there to play. So, um, we made our way to the park, and a group of them, about twelve to thirteen of them, 
This group has been around together for two years. They're pretty close. And they know each other. Uh, they know that how much the coach will help them <laughs> and how much we wouldn't care about them per se. <laughs> so they're pretty independent. And so during the session itself, what happened was there was a packet of... So sometimes the kids would take up, bring out their snacks, right? So there were a packet of uh, biscuits that was taken out and sometimes the kids, after eating a bit, they would go and play and they'll come back. So they'll do this, right? So the biscuit was left there. And then... After, so one of the girls, her name was Amani. So Amani left the biscuit there. And then when she came back, Amani saw her biscuit was all gone. Mm. Like not a single piece was left. And she was like curious, like, wait, what? Then at first, so they started to like, why, why? I mean, who took it? You know, like nobody knew. And then at first they started to throw up ideas. Some of them around was like, hey, was it monkey? And then kids were like, can't be monkey. The monkey won't tear it so nicely. Monkey will be more rough with it. And like, well, so they are aware, have the knowledge and experience, right? They know yeah, that. Yeah. So they say, no, it can't be monkey. And then they were like, who is it? And so nobody admitted to it, right? All the thing kids. And then they pointed the finger at the coaches initially, at me, because I like to take food from them. Darren. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't snap. I asked for them for permission. Okay. Give me. So I said, but no. I, I, and they were like, oh, of course, Darren always like to take our food. <laughs> so it must be you. Then I'm like, no, I, I didn't. But then they, they held a council kind of like to, to deliberate on the decision and I have to defend my position. Wow. Also, right. So after that, that whole episode and then they, they realized it isn't me and it isn't the other coaches and they look around and they couldn't they couldn't come to the conclusion who is it? So they, it was a very investigative process. You know? It was like science, experimenting, all, mathematics, all these things that we teach in school. Well, they are applying it right now across this event. Um, so, after that, one of the girls picked up, uh, one of the boys actually, uh, said, like, uh, it's not me, right? So, <laughs> what about you think? One of the girls picked up on that noon, one of on that moment, and like, well, we didn't ask you. Uh-huh. Why did you need to say that? <laughs> well, maybe it's you. Uh-huh. So, then they went on this journey of investigating and started asking him, and he started to show, show guilt, you know, and a guilty kind of... Uh, Countenance, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. And so after a while, they really, really <laughs> deeply, and they managed to get him. So then they decided, okay, move on. And the boy was very, he was trying to avoid them, you know. Mm. And so the investigative team started to probe and probe and probe, and finally they got to him. How? But how they got to him was what impressed us the most because. Uh, even I would say even myself or even some of us adults, we wouldn't be able to do what they did. So one of the girls named Ananya, right, she held on to the boy on the shoulder and she went down held on the boy. And she told him, it's okay, we just want to know the truth. It's not about punishment. It's not about getting in trouble. We just want to know the truth. Wow. You know, um, we're not blaming you for it. It's okay. You just let us know the truth. And the boy said, yeah, it's me. And he's apparently, he, I mean, okay, because of some diet thing, he's unable to eat this kind of stuff sometimes at home. So when he turns up on the table, he gets a more kick out of it, right? Yeah. So anyway, it was very, very normal for kids to have that, actually. Um, but yeah, for, for the the girl to do that, Ananya to do that, and um, that moment was so heartwarming. And, and 
it, it, it really makes us adults and educated reflect like how we deal with sometimes with issues and trying to find out the truth, how we use corporal punishments or, or the more aggressive. Threats, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, right. So, and you got to reflect the kids were teaching us more than we could. There you go. So, so the case of Missing Cracker, why it was a highlight, not only because of what the kids did, but also the influence of that on us as well, on our thinking as, as a community. Uh, of course, parents knew about this thing, we shared with them, they were like also happy. And they were also the one going through the reflective process of how they deal with yeah. uh, issues and challenging behavior with their kids at home as well. Okay, that's an amazing story. I'm glad you shared that with us. And uh, <laughs> um, But you know, as you mentioned that... Um, you, you need families to be involved, right? And how is that approach useful, I suppose, in the specific context of, like, you know, Malaysian, Singaporean families' lives where there are full-time working parents, right? I mean, they may not have the time to be as involved as perhaps this approach expects, but there are ways, isn't it, that you, you know, you guys, I'm sure, advise your parents on what they can do, how they can be involved. So usually we, we contextualizing to our local kind of environment and yeah. society, right? Yeah. So, but that one particular line rings true throughout all civilization, which is it takes a village to raise a child. Right? This, this is our tagline, and uh, but it's not new, right? It's, mm. a, it's an African problem. But we forget so, it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it takes a village, which means, and, and to understand what it means, right? it takes a village, I think it's important. People just say it so easily. It takes a village means that in that village, there can be people who are not so nice. There can be people, people who are rude. There can be tiger moms. There can be Karen's. <laughs> there can be a lot of kind of people as well as the other people who are just absolutely angelic and individuals who are so giving, individuals who are passionate, individuals who are wise. The village consists of a whole range of people and that's what raised the child. It's not about having all, all very kind individuals that also won't work. <laughs> and all nasty people will not work, but it's the mix of people. So what we tell parents actually is be yourself. If you know there's a gap and you want to try out, try out or you want to move towards something, you can try and you can seek, uh, you can talk to us, you can talk to other community leaders, other educational leaders as well and progress towards different things and have your child exposed to different kind of the village, basically. Yeah. Anyone exposed to the village, not necessarily one. I mean, because we always also have a saying that you put some animals in the cage, right? The animals absolutely love it. Some animals love the cage, right? <laughs> they don't want to leave the cage even. Um, but some animals, you put them in a the cage, they'll claw themselves to death. And that's children. Children are like that. You, some can be in schools, no problem. You don't have to put them in forest school. <laughs> they can be in the establishment and they absolutely love it. They'll score A's and end up with a professional and all that, no problem. But some can and you can't force them. So the best way is to you know, expose them, but as the parent themselves, just be yourself. If you are a tiger mom, so be it. It's all right. <laughs> you don't need to, if you're a helicopter, it's okay. <laughs> Just know that you are. And then <laughs> when you come to us, we are different and we know they're different. We don't need everybody to be the same. And then we work with that. Mm -hmm. I think that was what I will tell. Uh, that is what I will tell actually all the parents. Like, just be yourself. It's okay. <laughs> There are others, right? I mean, everything complements each other eventually, mm -hmm. right? It, it, it forms that, yeah, I mean, society, that's what you need. Um, I guess we're just running out of time, Darren, but you know, yeah. I was reading again that same article, you said that your goal for a school is to be obsolete, um, but why Why is that? I mean, you know, what are your some of your plans for the future? Yeah, where do you see okay. for a school going? Um, so I have a plan that for a school in Singapore, 
when when we have 66 forest schools in Singapore, which we are very close to actually now. Um, 40, right? You said no? Yeah, 40 now in Singapore. So when there's 66, it will tip over. It will be a tipping point for the ministry and uh, the, the government's, the ministry, the bigger organization to say, hey, yeah, well, it's time we do something about it as well. Um, and I think from that point onwards, um, it would be, uh, the movement will progress to the next stage or the next gear, la, which, which honestly, I'm not sure what it will look like because when the government takes over things, things will be different. Right. Yeah. So, um, but the hope is, of course, that it becomes, that forest school becomes a lifestyle, not an education. That, and, and which is very sweet, which is the Scandinavian beliefs, which is why they, we, they don't need forest school, that they are forest school every single day. Uh, and the Orang Aslis and the indigenous don't need forest school because they do it every single day. And I, that's our hope, that at the end of the day, it will be a paradigm to live with as a lifestyle. So to for that to happen, we have to be obsolete because when we are obsolete, means we're not needed anymore. Everybody knows it. <laughs> They're not necessary. There's no demand for you because everybody gets it. And so that's the goal at the end of the day, to be obsolete. That's a wonderful goal, Darren. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for sharing uh, with us today. And of course, you know, folks would like to find out more about the school. Maybe they're interested in, you know, opening one here or, you know, sort of um, doing those practices. I mean, are you open to discussions or, you know, people getting in touch to find out more? Oh, yes, 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 definitely. Uh, I mean, welcome. We we have a very weird sharing process. We, we don't franchise. <laughs> okay. We don't believe in franchising and all that. So we don't franchise, we don't do we share openly, almost freely with everyone. So actually, we have many fellowships in Malaysia. We have uh, Forest School JB, mm -hmm. uh, Jason. Um, and we talks with him as well. We share a lot with him. Uh, I know a, the Beach School in Port Dixon mm -hmm. uh, by Ken Leong. Um, so he's great. It's absolutely, I'm learning from him. The Beach School is a whole different game. Um, and of course, there's a lot of other folks who are in KL as well, around the AIM, KL AIM. Uh, we did give talks in KL a few times. Okay. So I think all this is possible. Of course, they can even just email us and just exchange uh, information, sharings and stuff like that. Uh, I always tell the Malaysian friends, like, hey guys, remember, the you guys have a different environment. <laughs> you have tigers and panthers and elephants in your jungle. We have it better than us, like in terms of understanding experience and nature. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I only provide you with a bit of understanding of how to work with the urban kind of issues and mediate through that. But nature part, Malaysians are better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have so much in our background, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Darren. And I mean, you know, just listening to you, you know, we, we want to formalize, uh, you know, um, environmental education in schools. We're like, oh, we must teach it there. But mm. I feel like, you know, for a school where you just let them go and, you know, appreciate it, explore it, you know, that's going to bring the appreciation for nature, you know, for the, whatever crisis mm. we're going to face. You know, it's those sort of experiences that will build that foundation. And, and you know, yes. who knows, right, from there. But thank you so much, uh, Darren, for speaking with me today. Any last message you'd like to leave us with? I, I, I would just say that uh, focus on the children, and I realized over time working with the forest that environment usually can take care of themselves pretty well. Just that it takes time. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't see that. But take care of the children. The children are the messengers of nature. 
Thank you so much, Darren. I've been speaking to Darren Quack, the founder of Forest School Singapore. If you'd like to find out more, just head to their website. That's forestschoolsingapore.com. You guys are also, of course, on social media. Uh, I think Facebook, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And uh, if you miss any part of our conversation today, just download the podcast at bfm.my slash learn or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Out of the Box on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.